If you're not friends, Father Chris is fine. He's not dead or anything. He's sitting right there. <laughs> um, if you haven't noticed, in the readings, we are reflecting on the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. That day is the day when after 40 days of Jesus um, in his resurrected body, teaching his disciples and wandering around, meeting folks in Emmaus and other places, he went back to be with the Father so that the Spirit could come. So this sermon is going to be a reflection on that ascension story, particularly in the book of Acts. But before we get there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can follow the life of your Son in the calendar of the church. Thank you that we can set a day aside to celebrate that God the Son went back to sit beside God the Father, that he sits on his throne, that everything is fulfilled. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises fulfilled. We thank you that you share those truths with us in many times in spite of us. Father, will you do in these moments what you love to do? Will you show us yourself? Will you make yourself big in our hearts? And will you do what I cannot do with words written on a page or words spoken with passion? Will you help us to love you more? Will you help us to love you more and love each other more because of it? I say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive into the account given to us in Acts, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. I want to show us some parallels between uh, the disciples' reaction to the crucifixion and resurrection and their reaction to the ascension. In both sets of circumstances, we see confused disciples, and we see that two men show up in white and declare the truth of God to these confused disciples. In the Gospels, so go back even a little bit further than the resurrection story, in the Gospels, when Jesus leaves the disciples, they are fearful and confused. Think about the storm at the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were worried they would die and cried out to a napping Jesus. Jesus then spoke, and nature went to bed. After they were sent out two by two, you remember the 70 disciples sent out two by two, the disciples were fearful and confused by the demon-possessed kid who couldn't be healed through their word. They were confused and afraid. Jesus came and settled the disciples' heart and healed that possessed child. When Jesus is arrested, moving a little further in the story, when Jesus is arrested, the disciples split and run. Post-crucifixion, the disciples hang out together with the door locked. They were afraid of religious and political leaders and confused about what to do next, so they just kind of hung out together with the door locked. Resurrected Jesus shows up and declares, peace be with you. In verse 3, in Acts chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be diving in. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is what he says. This is what Luke says. He, that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And in many ways, these past 40 days, 44, I guess now, that's what we've been doing together as a church. We've been... We've been thinking and reflecting on the resurrected Jesus and what that says about the nature of the kingdom of God, what that says about us here now even as the kingdom of God. But let's rehash the story a little bit. We remember he showed up to Mary Magdalene. He showed up to Peter, and that's where that famous feed my sheep discourse happens. You remember that? He showed up to doubting Thomas. He showed up on the road to Emmaus to his disciples who were confused. And he also just showed up in normal life. Hey guys, let's eat some breakfast. Let's have some fish. Start a fire. Let's do this thing. He appeared to Mary Magdalene not as a ghost or a depersonalized being, but as Jesus of Nazareth in a redeemed body. We know this. He appeared to the disciples and even ate with them. He appeared to doubting Thomas quelling his doubts and fears by inviting him into deeper faith. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, revealing himself in the scriptures and the breaking of bread, word and sacrament. After breakfast with the disciples, he took Peter aside to call faith and confidence out of him. Feed my sheep. Side note, just fun fact about that discourse with Peter. Uh, at, the end of that at the end of that conversation, Jesus ends by inviting Peter to follow him, the same command which started Peter's journey. Peter's call to feed Christ's sheep is downstream from loving Christ and following him. So you could hear that call of Jesus as, do you love me? Follow me. And that can apply to each one of us. The presence of Christ in each one of those post-resurrection stories, and really every story in the gospel accounts, the presence of Christ led to peace. Maybe this time, post-resurrection, Jesus would make everything right. Maybe this time he will sit on the throne of David and the peace that they felt when Jesus showed up would be spread to the world. Maybe. So the disciples ask, rightly, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We're going to see that Jesus' response displays God's authority and his mission. So we're, we're zooming in on that, that one response of Jesus to that, to that question of the disciples. We see, we see God's authority. You know, we might be accustomed to the answer that Jesus gives. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that God is, that the Father is set by his own authority. We might be used to that. We might be even more inclined to hear the second half of his answer. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're pretty familiar with that one. But his initial answer, I want us to step back and get into the minds of the disciples for a moment. His initial answer to the disciples' questions is, you don't get to know. 
Oof. Okay, Jesus. What an answer. And you can imagine running through the, through the disciples' mind. Was it because we abandoned you, Lord? Was it because we didn't stand up for you, but hid with doors locked and shutters closed? Or maybe some of the disciples would have had the opposite gut reaction. I thought you said we were friends now, not servants. You shared so much with us. Share this too. After all we've been through together, you're still leaving some things out of our reach? Huh. While those initial reactions in their hearts are certainly possible, my guess is that they were simply exhausted. They were with Jesus in many of the highs and lows of ministry. They saw thousands fed with bread and fish and the visceral reaction of the crowd when he called himself the bread of life. They sat together for a meal, knowing that Judas Iscariot was running away to betray him in that moment. I mean, Peter cut a guy's ear off. Those are some pretty intimate moments. They wept for Jesus' death, and probably wept for his resurrection, too. All this could finally be over. We can finally rest with our Messiah. He's died and risen again. God is finally vindicating his promise. But they are not God. They are not God, so they don't need to know. The Father has fixed those things in place by his own authority. So what would knowing do to help? What would, how would knowing actually help? Let me stop here for a second. I want us to remember back in the Gospels when Jesus said this of prayer. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Sometimes when we ask, we don't realize we're asking for a stone. In this instance, we must trust that if it was best for the disciples to know the Father's timeline, he would have shared. What father, when his son asks for a fish, gives him a stone? If it was good, he would have given. When Jesus said no to the disciples, he was giving them the best possible answer. Who knows what would have happened to the heart of the disciples if they knew God's timeline exactly? It likely would have crushed them. Or maybe caused doubt to rise. Who knows? I certainly don't know, and you don't either. What we do know is that God doesn't give us a stone when we ask for a fish. And when we ask for a stone, he doesn't give it to us. He's a good father. Interestingly, that same account in Luke's narrative says it like this. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's going to happen really, really soon. Hear the prophet Isaiah reflect on the difference between us and God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This might sound familiar. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We're going to come back to that text a little bit later. But know now that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what God does does not get hindered. God's timeline is fixed by his own authority and nothing can move it. Actually, just a few verses later, Isaiah goes on to declare that God's word will lead his people out in joy, rejoicing in the redemption of all things. The sovereignty of God, big scary word, I know. It's the I do all that I want of God, the sovereignty of God, is trustworthy. Behold the mercy of the Lord who sends out his word to redeem his people and make all things new. It is not for you to know, but God is still trustworthy. It is not for you to know, but you can know that God invites you even now to repent and believe in his goodness displayed in Jesus Christ. The disciples don't know the timeline and neither do we, but there's still an invitation. The Father has fixed these times and seasons by his own authority. There's nothing that can change that. God is unchangeable, and his word which goes out cannot be defeated. The presidential seat cannot stop God. The swords of wicked men cannot stop God's word. Father time can't stop God's plan. Destiny can't do squat. Personal difficult circumstances will not hinder God. Misplaced pastoral conversations cannot stop God's love for you. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God the Son, cannot stop God's plan of redemption. If you had any question whether God's word could be stopped, look at the crucifixion and then the resurrection, and now the ascension. And we see that in our text, we see that in our text. The resurrected Jesus defeated death and was about to ascend to the Father. And in Hebrews it says to, he, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That is Jesus' ministry now for you at the right hand of the Father is to pray for you. What a high priest. What a high priest. Nothing and nobody can stop our God. God's authority is clearly on display in this text. So is his mission. And this is the invitation. We're invited into God's mission. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples could not know when God will fully restore his kingdom, but, but they could be God's witnesses throughout the world when they receive the Holy Spirit. There's a, that's not for you, but this is for you. What a good God. What a good father. Notice the movement. The disciples receive the Spirit, then are called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The forgiveness of sins was won for us at the cross. The power for mission is a gift too. Forgiveness of sins is a gift. Power for mission is a gift. We are not left 
with marching orders without the grace and power to do what we are called to do. We are always gifted. We are always given what is necessary to fulfill what God requires of us. He does not give us marching orders without giving us the grace and power to help us do what he's calling us to do. He holds our hand the whole way. You know, Jesus shared with his disciples in his last night with them that it is better for him to go away so that the helper can come to them. This is what Jesus says about that helper. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Throughout that entire conversation, Jesus reiterates over and over again that he and the Holy Spirit are in lockstep. They're holding hands. They're tied together. They're partners in this thing. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. So the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity is inviting the disciples into the same work of witness. The Spirit is a witness for the Son. The Son is a witness of the Father, and together they're witnesses of God's glory, so God's character, and his work. The disciples are being invited to do the same work that God has been doing from eternity past, which is make much of God, make God big. The Father sent the Son. The Son bears witness to the Father and sends the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness to the Son and empowers us to do the same. It's deep. It's in the weeds. I know. It's a Sunday morning. I'm hitting you with Trinitarian theology. It's good. You guys can handle it. This is the point, though. God, for all of time, has been praising and loving. Father, Son, and Spirit are praising and loving each other. The disciples are in these parting moments being invited to do the same. They will see him work through their preaching, not only in Jerusalem, but in the surrounding area, so Judea, and in enemy territory. Read Samaria and ends of the earth, Rome. In fact, that's something kind of cool about reading through the book of Acts. God loves to break into those least likely places and show just how strong he is to save. He's strong enough to save religious terrorists, political tyrants, and lackadaisical philosophers. He saves those with disability and those with plenty. And all those people, former religious terrorists, political tyrants, lackadaisical philosophers, those with disability and the wealthy, are all invited They're all invited to participate in God's mission, too. This invitation to God's mission is not based on your capacity because nothing that God has done for you has ever been based on your capacity. Praise be to God. I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit if that were true. All these people are given the same Holy Spirit that our nearly ascended Lord in our story is promising. And so are we. We're promised the same. Whether you are closer to the fishermen of the world or the philosophers of our world, whether you're closer to those who have disability or those who have plenty, that same Holy Spirit is given to you to empower you to be a witness. 
to be bold enough to stand on trial for Jesus. That's what it means. To be bold enough to die for Jesus. The word for witness in this text, I'm going to get in the weeds a little bit, the word for witness in this text is martyrios, which through the history of the church came to mean those people who testified about Jesus to the very end. Martyrs. All but the Apostle John experienced that fate. And we remember every week those who have gone before us in that way. We are in the same family as those who forsook all comfort to be faithful to what they knew of Jesus. How freaking cool is that? Now, you might be asking, what does this have to do with the ascension? Pentecost is next week, Nate. Chill out about the Spirit. I know, I know. I know. I want to tie that together. I want to tie what I've been talking about, about God's mission and his authority with the ascension, with two closing admonitions. I want you to remember, and I want you to remain. Okay? I want you to remember the martyr Stephen's vision, the witness Stephen's vision. Remember that as he was being stoned, For his testimony about Jesus, he saw the ascended Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In other places in Scripture, this is interesting, in other places in Scripture, it says he sits at the right hand of the Father. He stands when his beloved suffers. He stands when those for whom he died suffers. He stands because he loves Stephen Jesus is no lackadaisical philosopher. He is no indifferent man with a pipe on a bench waxing eloquent about what could or couldn't be in the universe. No, no, our Jesus is a lover of souls. Remember the ascended Jesus' love for Stephen and remember his love for you. He knows your suffering and he knows how lonely it can be and how confusing it can be and how much we sometimes long for our skin and bones, Jesus, just to sit beside us and give us a hug. <laughs> he knows. He knows that. He's not indifferent to you. He loves you dearly. He knows how confusing it can be to see the terror of the world around us in our personal circumstances and in stuff that's out there. He knows. He knows how confused and lonely we often are now without him beside us eating breakfast with us. He knows how desperate you are to see him come again and how many things seem to be broken without hope of repair. He knows. Remember. Remember that our ascended Lord Jesus stood for Stephen ready to receive him with open arms. And he stands for you, eager, eager to hug you with that same embrace. And we know, friends, that one day he's coming back, and one day he's going to do it. In the same way you saw him rise, disciples, he's coming back. So that is a promise for you. Remember Stephen's vision, because that is for you, too. The same love he had for for Stephen, he has for you.
So I want you to remember Stephen's vision. I also want you to remain. I want you to remain faithful to witness for Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but do you ever wonder why evangelism is so hard? It's one of those jokes almost in Christian circles about how difficult talking to people about Jesus can be. I think it's the same reason that prayer and Bible reading and fasting are hard. Evangelism is one of those thin places in our lives where our participation with God becomes abundantly clear. It is God who saves. Evangelism is an invitation to get a front row seat to what God is about to do in someone's life. Prayer is the same thing. Bible reading is the same thing. It's those places where we are, we are right there with God and we are, we are engaging with him in relationship. Count evangelism among those things. It's a thin place. And he saves through the mouth of his witnesses. Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard. The world, the flesh, and the devil don't want us to recognize our participation with God in the redemption of the world. Of course it's hard. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us too. We weren't nearly as winsome as Jesus was. But there is nothing, and I mean nothing, and I really, really mean it. There is nothing like watching someone move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. There is nothing like someone who is dead in front of you coming alive in Christ for the first time. It's a miracle. It really is, like, actually a miracle. <laughs> to see spiritual rebirth is just as shocking as seeing Laz someone like Lazarus come from the grave or seeing someone who's in physical death come alive again. This is my invitation to you. Push into that participation with God in evangelism. Push into that. And I'm making like a spear movement, and I didn't realize I was doing that, but that's what God's kingdom does in this broken world. Is God's kingdom breaks in and does beautiful things when his people are bold enough to open their mouth and watch what God does in the moment as we prayerfully discern conversations, and we are with him in prayer and reading of scripture, and we are eager to see him do something in the world. Watch God move. Watch him do something crazy. And then, with them, when that moment happens, you can praise God with that person who's a baby Christian, and you can rejoice together. And you can invite them to do the same thing, which is what God has been doing from eternity past, which is praising and loving. God's going to do it. He's going to save his people. Why not put yourself in the front row to see what he's going to do. I mean, if there's a shot that you could see that happen, why not take it? Why not take your shot? You could actually see your friends and family become new creatures. And like I said earlier, they can have the same Holy Spirit move them to do the same. And they could see God do what he loves to do. Rinse, repeat, You know, I know it's hard, and that's so often what's on the front of our minds with this thing, this thing called evangelism. 
So I do want to say that you might not see results. Stephen didn't. He gave an awesome sermon and was stoned to death. God's authoritative word does not return to him empty, but accomplishes exactly what he intends. So remain faithful in your witness so you get a front row seat to the action. Hear this. All of this is possible because our risen Jesus will come back in the same way he went up. He will have people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people proclaiming the glory of his name for all eternity. And on this Sunday, we will remember and remain because the story is true. Because that was our story. We were dead. We were outcasts in the kingdom of darkness and somebody opened their mouth. Somebody opened their mouth for us. They loved us enough to open their mouth. Here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. We are going to, in a few minutes, with our mouths, proclaim what God has done for us. So, let me remind you to remain. This Sunday, we will remember and remain because the story is true. He came, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.